everybody. Um, I'm Michael John Lee. I'm at the University of Bath. And um, for the past, well, I was thinking about the dates um, this morning. Um, I think it's five years now. The past five years I've been carrying out projects looking at um, student abilities in the UK um, and more widely kind of the geography of higher education and geographic structure, spatial structure. Um, and that's something I'll talk about today. So, and it's a project that um, I've worked with Sol Gamsu. Sol was the uh, research associate on the project, um, and he's going to be talking later on about another dimension that um, we looked at in terms of using the social network analysis method. Um, he's coming from Durham, so I suppose he's uh, running a bit late. I don't know. Get your email to say he's going to be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, the project then. Um, so I've called the talk The International and the Domestic, Spatial Perspectives on Student Mobilities Research. And at the beginning of the project, um, I kind of was unfamiliar with this um, sort of dichotomy of the international and the domestic. And at the beginning of the project, um, I was made quite familiar with these constructs um, from kind of how I was positioned within the literature, how other people positioned me. Um, so I remember once a colleague introduced me as um, somebody who was interested in domestic mobilities. And I thought that was kind of intriguing because it wasn't really um, how I conceived of the research. So the research, um, the research project began in 2015. It's just finishing now in, at the end of March. And I began with these kinds of questions, looking at the social, cultural, economic significance of place um, and how this significance of place is linked to the reproduction of social, spatial inequalities and divisions. So these kind of broad questions were driving my work and I kind of took the UK as a case study of that. Um, but apparently I was studying domestic student mobilities, which is something that I didn't really conceive of because... Yeah, it's just not how I thought of it, but um, but in sort of being positioned in that way um, by others, it made me think about what what kind of international and domestic really means, um, which I want to talk about today. Um, and this is um, a paper that I wrote at the very beginning of the project, which um, has been lying kind of somewhere, um, waiting to be finished and sent off to publishers, but. I'm sure we're all familiar with that process of having kind of papers lying around. And um, so I'm going to talk about that. And just to say, though, the UK, I think, is a particularly interesting case study to study um, the movement of people across space. It's got the uh, highest rate of regional inequality of any um, EU nation. There's kind of lasting effects of deindustrialization that you see manifest in particular peripheral areas of the UK. Uh, you know, there's huge kind of inequalities that um, Mike Savage and colleagues at LSE uncovered in their class um, study in terms of the distribution of social, economic and cultural capital across the UK. So they talk about London as the vortex of these capitals. Things like ethnic segregation, um, you know, it's a really interesting context to study these kind of movements of people across space and the significance that space holds for different groups and how all of that is kind of linked, how, you know, 
the point of university entry um, can sort of be a lens to see the reproduction of these divisions and inequalities. So higher education um, is kind of a lens to kind of study these more sociological, geographical phenomena that I'm interested in. And I think it's a really interesting lens because um, about half of young people now go to university in the UK and we can see at that point of transition how they sort of conceptualise space and place and their position within the world. Um, it's quite an interesting kind of turning point to see these, um, the production of these inequalities and divisions. So the study was um, mixed methods and it was using quantitative analyses of piece of data with uh, multi-site qualitative research. And I'll say a bit more about the methods um, as I go on. So, yeah, going back to this... Um, oh, thank you. That's great. Perfect. Um, just going back to this, this, um, these constructs, domestic and international, um, I've kind of been thinking um, abstractly about what these spheres are, really, and how helpful they are. Um, and in some ways, um, talking about um, domestic and international kind of creates these kind of... Um, this, this tension that people in literature like Kirsty Finn has talked about in terms of um, mobile and immobile, you know, that the domestic are immobile and the international are the true kind of mobile people. You know, studying domestic is kind of inferior to um, international. Um, and we can think about kind of international mobility. In a way, it could be argued that it's kind of reinforcing this um, idea of student mobility in terms of proximal distance travelled. So mobility is about how how many miles you traverse rather than the social distance that you travel, which is another way to think about it in terms of the kinds of origin, the nature of the origins and destinations that people traverse. So, you know, what, what it is, does, you know, migrating from Shanghai to London, is that, you know, to what extent is that, um, obviously that's a huge proximal distance, but in terms of social distance travel, we can theorise that in terms of the kinds of capitals and um, identities that exist across those spaces. Um, and it, I don't mean to kind of problematise too much the international sphere, because um, it's very helpful, the res you know, the research, there's a huge amount of research that's been really helpful in my own thinking about um, what I'm looking at. Um, but you can also think about kind of the international sphere is kind of reinforcing these artificial man-made boundaries that, you know, Doreen Massey would say, well, you know, they're kind of the map maker, they're created by the map maker, they kind of, they're, they're not um, necessarily reflective of people's sort of imaginaries of space and place. Um, and really, a spatial perspective from a kind of Massey point of view would be saying, well, you know, our job is to problematise these artificial boundaries and look at and expose um, and resist the kind of map maker's standpoint and how they see the world. We want to look at how people experience and subjectively understand it. So yeah, this is where I'm thinking with um, my theorisation. Um, I don't think this is working. Um, 
So, in terms of um, the international sphere of research on mobilities, um, it's a huge field, isn't it? And there's a huge amount of valuable work that's been done here, looking at things like the characteristics of overseas movers, their mobility patterns. Um, people like Robin Shields have done really fantastic work, like uh, mapping flows globally. Um, things like motivations and rationales, the push and pull kind of factors, experiences overseas, lasting effects and mobility. And there's this kind of consensus in the literature about how um, privileged groups who are most likely to be internationally mobile are using it as a strategy to reinforce their advantage um, in terms of the importance of achieving a kind of symbolically valuable uh, Western degree credential. And so, um, Johanna Waters has talked about mobility itself as a kind of capital, but moving it in itself, in and of itself, as a form of capital. And increasingly within the mobilities field, um, there's kind of more of an awareness of the importance of space and place, isn't there? Um, so, um, this, this study looking at rankings. Um, is a really important one, I think, because it sort of underlies the importance of space and place. So, you know, um, this study through a quantitative analysis found that uh, rankings are not um, central to predicting flows across particular countries. Instead, it was the income levels, historic ties um, created by colonial links, language, and the presence of existing migrants that was actually more important. And, I mean, that's a quantitative study, but you can the qualitative research kind of backs that up and sort of qualifies that in terms of you know, um, how internationally mobile uh, students narrate kind of movement across space and moving to spaces that have symbolic potency. So Collins' work there on Seoul and um, as an iconic centre in East Asia. Um, and Magital and Beach's work uh, looking at kind of post-colonial perspectives and the geographic imaginaries of place um, and this idea of Britishness that um, Beach talks about in her work and and yeah um, there's another kind of theme within the literature talking about kind of social networks and friendship and kinship as kind of determinants of where people move so in kind of these were all things, though, that I was interested in, in the kind of domestic sphere. Um, and for me, it was interesting to have this kind of international and domestic, because all of these things, I think, are present within um, the considerations that young people within countries make when they move across space. And if we're to take a kind of spatial perspective seriously, and really take that perspective, I think you've got to, you know, get rid of this idea of these artificial borders and boundaries and understand space and place in this sense that Matthew talks about and all of these things I think and I'll show in this presentation are present for young people moving within the UK. Um, so that's my argument. Um, and so I'm using um, largely Massey in my work and um, but also um, engaging with post-colonial theories and ideas around internal colonialism. So um, 
Massey's idea of uh, or conceptualization of space and place in terms of uh, stretched out social relations, place is constituted of that. So how uh, being located um, in a particular place can privilege different groups according to their connections to particular resources and identities, and how you know this idea comes out then of social distance travel, doesn't it, in terms of uh, the kind of the qualitative um, sort of um, dimension to origin and destination locations in terms of their connectedness to racial, ethnic, class-based identities and resources um, that circulate across space. Um, and also Massey's work um, on spatial division of labour in the UK economy, looking at that historically and thinking about kind of southeast and London as places of knowledge production um, and economic wealth and the controllers of capital and peripheral towns as sites of labour and kind of um, the enactment of that. Um, and so in addition to Massey's work, I think it's also helpful to bring in post-colonial theories. Um, and I think there's a sort of, you have to be careful, like, from my point of view, I think you have to be careful in terms of um, how we apply these, because obviously the UK is not a post-colonial context in the sense that um, other countries are. Um, but I think that the ideas are useful in thinking about how certain sort of worldviews and identities and sort of dispositions and styles are privileged um, to the detriment of others and how that's reinforced through the higher education choices. So in the literature, um, some really work, great work by Magistral and um, Beach has sort of applied these and thinking about how um, the movement of students overseas um, is kind of driven by these this, this post-colonial imaginary of the UK and Britain as being this and other <coughs> countries like that as being this kind of, you know, superiority um, in higher education. Um, but I also really like um, Hector's work and I think this idea of internal colonialism and so Hector's book was about, um, I don't know if people are familiar with it, but it's about um, the UK in particular and um, this idea of the Celtic fringe uh, within the UK and how, you know, ethnic solidarities um, are, he kind of explains ethnic solidarities that come about within contexts like the UK um, in terms of, you know, these are undoubtedly going to come about if, if they're relegated to inferior positions um, in the division of labour. Um, so, um, so yeah, the project... So I'm going to talk about the qualitative work today, um, and it relied on this kind of relational idea of um, generating knowledge. So <coughs> I think it was important to do this because I was interested in the kind of invisible boundaries. Um, so not, you know, the artificial man-made boundaries that the map maker creates that you can look at on your uh, phone, but these invisible sort of social and symbolic boundaries that exist across space, uh, which structure social space and which are reproduced through the decisions of young people as they go on to university, you know, they're making decisions which are constantly reinforcing these boundaries, these invisible boundaries. And um, I was led by Desmond's work on uh, relational ethnography, 
where he talks about um, the importance of um, doing research which kind of is characterized by these four things. So studying fields rather than places, the entire field, insofar as you can do that. Obviously, I'm not going to ever be able to do that, but um, go towards that rather than particular cases within the field. Um, and boundaries rather than bounded groups, and processes rather than process people, uh, conflict rather than, you know, essentialist group culture. Um, yeah, I think this quite really sums up what he means here. And so to do this, um, in the um, original um, proposal um, to the ASLC, we, well, I, I kind of um, thought of this idea of um, identifying participants through a mapping tool. But actually, this mapping tool became kind of, um, so in the proposal, I wrote about this as kind of a method to select participants. Um, but actually, it turned out to be a really um, important analytic kind of, um, piece of data um, which was used alongside the interview data to sort of interpret what was going on. Um, so the tool was trying to get at this, um, these two dimensions that Desmond talks about in particular. So studying boundaries and the entirety, entirety of fields, uh, the entirety of the field. So um, it was trying to sort of get at the um, subjective boundaries that young people hold in space. So, and young people were given this um, blank map um, and they were asked to um, colour in the map in terms of these, this key. So, um, places in green that they uh, desire to live for university, um, places in red where they really didn't want to live for university, orange places that they were kind of ambivalent about, so they didn't feel too strongly either way, and places in blue that they um, didn't have any knowledge of. Um, and then during the interview, we asked participants to, um, so Sol was involved in collecting the data with me, and we asked participants to um, tell us about their map. Literally, that's how we began the interview. Um, which elicited some really uh, sort of detailed accounts of how they imagined social space, social and geographic space. <laughs> I'm kind of aware that, um, and in this piece we talk about some of the um, criticisms of this, so you'll notice that um, it does actually have artificial kind of boundaries um, here that you'll see when you look at any um, official um, map of the world, which is meant to represent the world, um, and I was kind of, I was kind of in two minds because if you don't put that, if you, the alternative to putting these lines on the um, piece of paper is just to give them a blank piece of paper, but I felt that was too kind of um, it would it was reliant upon I think quite a lot of capital in terms of participants to engage in the process. Um, and, but I think it's important in looking at it to kind of be critical in, in, in interpreting this. Um, so, you know, um, not all young people knew where Wales was, for example. 
or you know different places and so it's about the interpretation of it that I think is important but um, it's a difficult one to get around I think but um, uh, this is this is where I ended up and so the qualitative field work was uh, multi-sided and it involved all of these stars represent um, a case study location so it was data collected in school six forms and um, this is the um, data that was collected across 20 different locations um, collecting over a thousand maps and interviewing 223 uh, young people as well as um, school staff so the, the kinds of maps that came back were really valuable in the interpretation of what was going on and in terms of these things to do with the boundaries that are created. Um, so these are some examples, I think, from one of the London case study schools. Um, and so the data, the young people that um, I selected were off, were, we tried to uh, make sure that there was a spread of um, participants in terms of their social class and ethnic groups um, and so yeah there was, there was um, some attempt to get at that and so in talking about the data I want to talk about and Sol's just arrived <laughs> um, I want to talk about the data in terms of this kind of um, idea of the symbolic potency of place that um, Collins was talking about uh, in terms of Seoul and um, as a kind of iconic centre in East Asia. Um, so I'll talk about that first, but then I want to go and talk about kind of ideas around uh, post-colonialism um, and the superiority of place um, that we can use as a lens to understand um, the data. So. Um, this paper by Collins, um, I think it's Collins at all actually, um, and they are talking here about um, internationally mobile uh, students in East Asia and um, the kind of prominence of Seoul as a location and describing it as an iconic centre. So we can see from this quote how it was kind of perceived as this kind of economic hub and uh, eclectic in constant motion, a city of contrasts, a bustling centre of culture, finance, politics and entertainment. So this is really getting at the importance of place for internationally mobile students. Um, and this also resonated with the students in the research um, and sort of um, in terms of London for example and so we can think about um, iconic London and this participant um, from a college in the southwest was talking here about London and um, this is her map she's shaded look you can see the colours very well but she shaded um, all of the UK and this was quite a um, common thing that lots of the very privileged um, 
the participants speaking from very privileged locations did. They would be very discerning within place, um, so they would pull up all of the UK um, in red and then discern particular places um, that they were attracted to. Um, whereas I don't, well, I can't think of any examples of students from less privileged backgrounds who did this. They would tend to be more kind of um, less kind of discerning and spread huge amounts of colour across broad areas of um, space. So Camilla, um, she was attending a private school um, from a high social class background. And you can see from this quote here, um, she's talking about um, York, um, Edinburgh and Oxford as kind of quaint little towns. There's not too much around. There's not much going on. Um, whereas when she talks about London, she describes it in terms of its vibrancy. There's loads going on, loads of people around you. There's a lot more career opportunities in vibrant areas. And then she goes on to talk about LSE being right next to um, the city of London, next to all the big law firms. So Camilla wanted to study law at university. And indeed, if you look at LSE's website, they market themselves um, in, in this way. They market the, their location next to these big law firms. Um, so you can see, in the same way as Collins talked about um, for internationally mobile students, you know, place was resonating for Camilla in terms of connecting her up to these networks that she imagined would be important for what she wanted, what she imagined as her future career. And she talks in a bit more detail here about um, the law firms that are nearby and the kind of um, international law firms that she imagines herself, positions herself towards. She, she imagines herself working in these international law firms that have multiple um, offices around the world, um, rather than a small local law firm um, on the high street of her town where she lives. Um, so in the same way that Collins is talking about students wanting to be in Seoul, where they're kind of connected up to um, these important networks and important institutions and huge amounts of capital, um, Camilla is talking in the same way here. Um, and you see this also from a student at a school uh, which we call Brazenose School in uh, Greater Manchester, um, and this student's from a uh, high social, the highest social class background, and eventually went on to attend Imperial College. And um, he's talking about um, wanting to be based in, or at least around London or the South. And um, you can see his map quite similar to Miller in terms of. Um, discerning particular places, well, um, <laughs> the entirety of London really, but other places, um, and talking about um, Wales in this kind of derogatory way, um, which I'll go on to sort of theorise in terms of colonialism, um, talking about it, there's a lot of sheep there, is that right? Wales doesn't really interest me, to be honest. Wales, it seems like a bit gloomy sort of place. I'm definitely not interested in Wales or Northern Ireland, for example. Um, so, in the same way that um, Collins um, identified in uh, their research 
on internationally mobile people are attracted to the kind of hub of economic capital and um, important kind of networks that connected them up to um, value capitals in social space. Um, the students here talking in the same way about not wanting to be in Wales or Northern Ireland. That isn't where the student needs to be to um, achieve what they want to achieve in their imagined future self. Um, and I mean the benefits of a multi-sided study really are that you see, like Desmond says, um, the kind of multiplicity and the kind of ways in which um, social structure is tied together. So we can see those very privileged students, but on, uh, on the other hand we can see uh, students like Rianne at um, a school in Liverpool talking about um, the ways in which um, uh, people from Liverpool are kind of um, marginalised. Um, so this uh, story is about um, her visit to a uh, concert in London and about her experience. And the, the data is full of instances like this, full of instances of students visiting particular places, having particular experiences that reinforce these divisions and inequalities. So there's lots of instances in terms of race and ethnicity, in particular racism, um, that were reinforcing um, racial divides across space. Um, so you can see from this story of um, Rianne here, who had, um, who was kind of mocked for her accent and kind of othered for the way that she was speaking. Her form of expression was othered. Um, so, you know, in terms of what Desmond talks about, in terms of how social structure is held together, you know, um, Rianne um, ultimately uh, went on to attend uh, Liverpool John Moores University. Um, she didn't go to the South, and um, I can't actually see that, but I think she's coloured the South in green here, despite her negative experience, um, which is another reason why it's important to have the date that um, transcript next to the map. Um, but yeah, you can see how social space is held together by these accounts um, when you take a kind of multi-sided approach um, and also um, another example from uh, the Liverpool case here in, you can theorise it in terms of the spatial division of labour that um, Massey talks about so um, here this participant Liam's talking about um, how uh, Liverpool is represented in film um, and um, the negative connotations of Liverpool, it's not, you know, in terms of the spatial division of labour, it's not <coughs> where knowledge production happens in Liverpool, it's where people work, uh, do manual labour and aren't given permission to think. Um, so, and it's, it's interesting to think about um, this idea of... Um, so in terms of uh, what Aline Courtois talks about in her work, um, the hypermobility, hyper moving about and wanting to be in kind of, and like Collins talked about, wanting to be in sort of bustling, busy places, um, you can see, um, you know, that doesn't resonate with 
all um, young people across social space. And this participant here um, in one of the Northern Ireland uh, schools talks about resisting uh, London because it's too big, too busy, too much going on, um, which kind of contrasts with what we heard from Camilla earlier in terms of wanting to be in a place like that, wanting to be connected up to a busy place where there's social networks and ties that she imagines will be valuable to her. Thank you. So, another way in which um, in this uh, position paper that's been lying on my hard drive for the past five years um, uh, sort of talked about um, what's going on here in terms of the social boundaries uh, within space was using ideas um, from post-colonial theories um, and there's already been in the international abilities literature there's already been uh, application of Kind of post-colonial perspective. So, uh, Beach's work here um, has used kind of post-colonial discourses to understand how universities market themselves and the British Council's marketing strategies. Um, so, she says here, thus the British Council's marketing strategies and those of the UK universities more broadly, while positioning the UK in a post-colonial context, subtly draw on a persistent imaginative geography of British imperial power. And we can see those um, kind of um, discourses all the time in our universities, the propaganda machine that universities <laughs> um, spin out all the time. Um, and Beach talked about this in uh, some of the participants uh, in her research um, in terms of uh, Britishness and this idea, this participants here talking about how um, they, imagined they imagined British um, identity in the different places in Britain that this uh, participant went to and how they sort of differentially position these places in terms of connecting up to the idea of Britishness that circulates across space. Um, and so you can see this resonating within the um, participants in the research. Um, and so one of the things that came up with the, with particular um, privileged groups and particular case study schools was um, kind of the invisibility of Wales, really. Wales was kind of a kind of, um, well, like I said, I think you've got to use these post-colonial perspectives with caution in a context like the UK, because it's not quite the same as other contexts, but kind of a, a invisible other, um, um, a place that's kind of, you know, um, placeless and not, you know, uh, recognised. Um, so this person here um, from the private school um, in Greater Manchester uh, that we visited uh, talked about, haven't really thought about going to Wales. Um, <coughs> it's not, it was never really on their con kind of mind mindset. It was never really um, positioned as a place to go to, you know. London or the South East is the superior place and in that sense Wales wasn't even on the map, wasn't even on this participant's map. That subjective imaginary of a place to go to. There's a place that exists even. Um, and um, 
Yeah, this participant's talking about kind of their imaginary of Wales as a place that speaks a different language where they wouldn't be able to um, interact with people because they because of the different language that exists. Um, and um, this participant talking about uh, Scotland and Wales um, not being places where they imagined visiting again because of language. Um, and Hector's work on um, the Celtic fringe, I think, really helps to explain how participants like um, Fionn, in, um, who was at a school in South Wales, how, they, how their ethnic solidarities are kind of reinforced at the point of university transition. So, um, so when Hector's talking about how um, in... Um, colonial contexts, how ethnic solidarities are kind of reinforced, you can see this here. So Fionn's talking about um, the importance of staying in Wales. The rest of um, the UK is marked out in red, um, and only a couple of locations in Wales um, are marked out as desirable places. Um, and you can see from the quote here the importance of uh, Welsh identity and Welsh culture. Um, and like Hector says, um, how that's kind of reinforced. Uh, I'll just quickly um, finish off. Um, you can also see this in terms of language as well for uh, Welsh speakers in the Welsh schools and the importance of staying in Wales and the kind of solidarities that... Um, the Welsh language brings to um, uh, Welsh young people. Um, and just to say as well, you know, thinking about this multi-sided um, approach that uh, was taken, um, this can't be seen in isolation from the other perspectives of more privileged groups in London, for example, who were kind of marginalising Wales as other, other ingots. Um, and the solidarities that, you know, it's all kind of connected and it's all held together within social and geographic space. So just to conclude then, this, um, this work is really trying to kind of um, look at how countries like the UK, um, you know, we need to look beyond kind of... Um, imagining sort of domestic mobility as people not moving, you know, um, looking at kind of social boundaries, power relations, historic forms of dominance and oppression are present for so-called domestically mobile in the same way that they are for internationally mobile. And these kind of constructs, um, these kind of constructs kind of stop us from seeing these power relations in a way. Um, or at least they kind of um, shift our focus from them somewhat. Um, and, you know, you can see from the data here and from previous research on international mobility, whether international or domestic, privileged groups uh, are reproducing their advantage through locating in particular places connected to important capitals. Um, and at the same time, the point of university entry is reinforcing this marginalisation and oppression 
of and, and, and the other in process. Um, and I think looking beyond this research, it would be interesting to look at this in other countries. So, like I said at the beginning, I think the UK is an interesting case because of the UK's history and particularities. But I think it would be interesting to look at this in other countries and to kind of comparatively look at um, domestic, domestic mobilities um, in other places. Um, and yeah, this is, this is some of the outputs that um, Sol and I have been working on, um, that kind of, one of them talks more about this mapping method, and um, yeah, so I'll stop there. Great, thank you so much.